Let's stand open our Bibles, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to preach a few messages and testimonies in the midst of trial. We briefly touched on this story the other day when Elisha was living in his latter days. This morning I want to focus on the scene, the moment, and what God did in the behalf of Israel. Second Kings chapter 6, we'll just read verse 17 this morning. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mount was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Let me quickly reintroduce this story for those that are unfamiliar with it. King Ben-Hadad of Syria was warring with Israel. It was a constant war that was taking place. More than anything, he was seeking the death of King Joram of Israel. The, the man was a brilliant strategist, and he had schemed and plotted and devised ways uh, to come in once he had found his location to bring the army in. And every single time, his efforts were thwarted and the king had already moved uh, himself and uh, those closest to him escaping over and over again the plots and plans of the king of Syria. The king of Syria finally comes to its end. He can't believe that uh, someone has this kind of intel. You've got to remember, this was thousands of years ago. And uh, he's saying, there has to be a traitor that is close to me that is revealing these secrets. And the more it happened, the smaller and smaller the group that would know about these plans uh, beforehand. And finally, he brought his closest counselors together. And he said, we've got to uh, identify this traitor in our midst. And uh, one of the men said, uh, King, I, I hate to break the bad news to you. We don't have a traitor. It's Elisha. That prophet, that man of God, look what it says, verse 11, therefore the heart of the king of Syria, being Hadad, he was sore troubled for this thing. He called his servants. He said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Let's identify the traitor. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, we're all faithful. But Elisha, that prophet that's in Israel, he telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Now you got to remember, there was no bug that could be planted. There was no cell phone providing the information. There was no baby monitor that existed back then that could help provide that information. It was God, the God of all knowledge. Let me just remind you, there's a God of heaven that knows every plot against every child of God, knows every sinister thought against his people. He has never been caught off guard or unaware. And here's, this unsaved man knew that prophet 
knows the thoughts and the words that that king is making in the closed doors of his bedchamber. Now, isn't that a little spooky? He said, King, I hate to tell you this, but that man knows everything and already has told the king of Israel, Joram, of your plots and your plans, and that provides him a way of escape. So the king changed his plan. He said, okay, why even bother going after Joram? Let's go after that prophet. Like he won't know of your plans. <laughs> if he knows of your plans against the king, surely God's going to reveal your plans against him. So they go to Dotham. They've identified where he is at. And they bring the army at night. They surround the city. And here's what the Bible says. Look what it says in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant was risen early, my guess is either heartburn or early morning riser, the love coffee and watching the sunrise. When he had gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant, this servant comes in and he grabs Elisha and he's panicked. Now, this is a good time to panic. If you wake up for your morning coffee, you go out your front door and you see a great army with swords and spears in their chariots seeking your death, you might want to spill your coffee. You might want to run back into the house. Um, this is a great moment for panic. And he does just that. And he goes to Elisha and he says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What in the world are we going to do? This, this is hopeless. And Elisha, don't, don't you hate it when it's a good time to panic and someone in the room isn't panicked? <laughs> he answered and he said, fear not. Uh, hold on for a second. You, you got to understand. Okay, these are not our friends. These are not guys that are trying to help us. Those spears, those weapons, their intentions, they're evil. And Elisha, they're searching for us, thankfully more for you than for me, but they want to kill us. And Elisha continues to drink his coffee and says, uh, hey, this is no time to panic. Let's not, let's not get too concerned. Let's not get our blood pressure up. We haven't even finished our coffee yet. They that be with us, he says, are more than they that be with them. Amen. Now that sounds good, but when you have eyes that can see, he is saying, Elisha, I'm, I'm glad for that great idea and that's an incredible thought, but if you walk out the door and you take a look, those are all the wrong colored shirts. Those are people that are seeking our lives and I don't know what you're talking about as far as the people that are on our side. It, at this point, I look at it as two against a thousand or thousands and I don't think the odds are in our favor. How many of you are familiar enough with math to know two against a multitude Numerically, that's not in your favor, right? And look what it says, our text, 17. Elisha, he prayed, he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. Now, this is a life changer. 
If you go through the Bible, it is consistent. We understand the principle, man without God has his eyes closed, his eyes natural, his spiritual eyes blinded. Salvation opens our eyes. We understand that it, one of the great examples of the Bible, Mark 8, uh, also acts the salvation of Saul that later becomes Paul and he's blinded, goes to the man of God for help and the scales are removed and his eyesight is restored. He sees life totally differently. Now through the perspective of someone with Jesus Christ in his heart, eternity in his eyes, we understand those things. But repeatedly in scripture, you see a principle that the uh, spiritual eyes have got to be opened and uh, for any child of God, that is living fearful, uh, we understand that it's simply because he cannot see the help that he has because there is the invisible. And when we talk about the, the natural and the supernatural, the spiritual and the physical realm, uh, we're not just talking about angels. We're, we're talking about God and the unseen world. And here's how we live. We live in this world with the tangible, what we can touch, see, taste, and handle. And faith is about the invisible world, seeing those things that are not seen. And here's the difference between these two men. Elisha clearly saw that God was present and God was in charge of the situation, and God was wanting to help. And this is the difference between one man that's in absolute panic and the other one that's totally relaxed. We see this in our homes because we all have children, and we see moments of panic. And while that child is panicked, there are moments when you actually laugh and say, it's not a big deal. That problem is already solved. I can deal with this. I can handle that. I don't need you to cry. I want you to go to sleep. I don't need you concerned. I, I am bigger than that problem, and I can solve that for you. So just calm down. And there's a God in heaven bigger than any problem that we are dealing with. And any source of Panic, we, we understand the command that constantly, every book of the Bible, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. You would, you would think the older you are is a Christian, the older you are, period, that uh, calmness would just naturally be a trait. Faith would naturally grow. Young people, I hate to break the bad news to you. When you're young, ignorance creates this vibe of invincibility. You don't understand uh, your limitation. You don't understand the brevity or the fragility of life. You don't understand how quickly uh, life can change and sickness can overwhelm. You don't, you don't understand a bone can break, uh, injury can take place. Those are things you're just looking at. The, I'm strong. I'm healthy. My future is unlimited. I'm going to be the next president of the United States of America. I'm going to marry uh, Miss. Venezuela. (laughs) It's tough when you're a pastor and you're looking at this crowd, you're just trying to figure out how to. 
how to say something that's reasonably possible, although impossible. But at some point, you start to deal with your own limitations and become overwhelmed with the realities of the future. And fear is a natural tendency of the natural heart of man. And when you're looking at these kind of odds, let me ask you, do you really think you would have walked out that door and walked back in and said, hey, no problem. We've got a God in heaven. This is really not an issue. Looking, we just look out what the natural eye can see, and he did the same thing. And here's Elisha saying, God, I need you to do us all a favor and just open his eyes. And here's what the blind need. The blind needs someone to hold their hand and help them move forward because the seeing eye, here's, here's the problem with the blind eye. They're, the dangers of life are greater. The discouragements of life are greater. The, yes. Naturally, the limitations are greater. So you're thankful for a cane, but if that person without eyesight is wanting to cross an intersection and thank God for canes, we thank God now for, for modern technology and the beeping and the instruction that take place. But you naturally want to go and put out your arm and make sure there's no danger there because that lack of sight is is providing the opportunity of suddenly facing extreme danger. And here's, here's spiritual leadership in life. Spiritual leadership is seeing the invisible and then praying for that person that can't see the invisible, God opened his eyes. He didn't pray this for himself. When when Elisha said, listen, our team is bigger than theirs, and you don't need to be concerned about this. Those that are with us are more than those that you see with their natural eyes. He didn't didn't cry out suddenly after those words in great faith. God, I know he's telling the truth. I just don't see it. God, would you open my eyes? Let me ask you this. How many times his panic set in, fear set in, and it should naturally, just speaking naturally, logically set in because of what the doctor said or because of what had just taken place or because of the financial news or because of the job loss, because whatever it is you're facing in life would naturally be overwhelming. How many of us could be honest this morning and say, the first thing I did was fall on my face and say, God, I don't see this through your eyes. I don't see what you have planned. I don't see how you can possibly be in control. God, would you open my spiritual eyes so I could see this as you see it? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever heard anyone pray that prayer? Now, Here's the job of a spiritual leader. Your pastor has to be continually praying that prayer. Oh, God, right now they can't see things. They're, just, they're not seeing it through a spiritual perspective. They're not seeing it through your eyes. They, they can't see this. And God, if they don't see it soon, frustration, anger, desperation, bitterness, God, help them. To see, and as parents, we ought to be praying this for our children. As ministry leaders, we ought to be praying this for those that are under our leadership. But we ought to be 
teaching others to pray this prayer, God, I'm just at a stage of life that I'm overwhelmed by thoughts that, according to your word, I'm not supposed to be living with. This isn't a moment, Father. This is extending itself into not just days and weeks, but a pattern in a habit in my life where I am living frustrated with my circumstances, angry, overwhelmed, bewildered, depressed, disillusioned. And God, it's because through my natural eyes, I'm looking at what I can simply see, and it's overwhelming. And here's what he said. I'll... I'll be honest with you. I remember when COVID hit and there were so many unknowns. I said several weeks or even months in, there, there's no way we're going to come out the other side as a church. Now, I, I believe it changed things in our world and in our nation that will never, ever be restored. That's undeniable. The new norm is the new norm. But when it comes to the church, I said churches will never function totally the same again. Boy, was I wrong. Guess what? For most, I know some bus routes got shut down, some children's programs ended. I was talking to several camp speakers and youth uh, leaders, national youth leaders this year, and they told me uh, the attendance at youth conferences, youth camps, was greater this year than they've ever seen in their lifetime. I didn't think that was a possibility. For those that didn't stop their bus routes and that kind of outreach, uh, those for many have exceeded numbers and numerical expectations of the past. I, one of the things I said, missions giving will soon be affected on, on a level that we haven't seen in our lifetime. Well, guess what? Everywhere I've been, everyone I've talked to, missions giving is greater than it's ever been. Three years later, now the number of missionaries is greatly shrinking. The numbers of those that are surrendering and going are less than we've ever seen in our lifetime. Now, that's a dilemma. That is truly a problem. But the financial side is not. So I'm, I'm just confessing as your pastor one instance of allowing a circumstance to affect our thing. I'm thank God we didn't shut anything down. Uh, we didn't stop our routes. We didn't change our evangelism. We didn't redirect our missions money. We, we held true to the course. We stayed faithful. And all those things have grown. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm just being honest with you. Those were thoughts that went through my mind. Things will look different coming out the other side of this pandemic. They just, they will. And guess what? God in heaven said, I got a plan for my church. And this does not deviate my eternal plan. Now, we're talking about those things that are just normal and natural in our life. Say, Pastor, what do I do? I simply want every single person in here to leave with one singular thought this morning. We have got to get in the habit of crying out to God and saying, God, would you open my eyes? 
I, I don't want to live panicked. I don't want to live frustrated. I don't want to live depressed. I don't want to live controlled by whatever it is that I'm dealing with at this moment and my emotions easily could. How often do we do something or react based on an instinct? Yes, sir. Now here's what happens. He prays. God is going to do exactly what, look what it says. The Lord did what? He opened the eyes of the young man so that he saw. You know what you're going to see? You open your eyes, you're, you're going to understand. There's a God that is present that he is protecting you in ways that you can't protect yourself. So, once again, let's make the comparison to what we do and see in the natural realm. Use a parent. It's, it goes way beyond a seat belt. It goes way beyond a speed limit. It goes way beyond you can't play in the street. You can't climb under roofs higher than 12 feet. You can't play football on the highway. It goes way beyond that. You know what you naturally are thinking 24-7? The best and the protection of your children. Doesn't matter what in the service, that's always in the back of your mind. It, it's always in the front of your mind. So it's not like it consumes you, but you notice anytime that child is placed in a situation where they should not be, and it would it would put their health in danger. It, it may be something as simple as food. I, I mean, some of you literally, nope, no ice cream for you. Their blood sugar is 78. No. You eat two more sticks of celery, three carrots, and you go to bed. Okay? I'm a good father. You don't touch anything except celery and carrots. And no, you're not going to eat dip with that. Celery and carrot. No peanut butter on that celery. Celery. Peanut butter will kill you. Uh huh. We're not going to cook that. All the naturally good ingredients go right out of that in the water. You eat it raw. It isn't amazing that we're that consumed with that kind of detail and we think that God is clueless. We have a Heavenly Father that actually cares way beyond what we care in his thoughts. And, and he actually knows something way beyond our natural knowledge. Okay, if God is revealing to Elisha what this king is saying in his bedchambers, don't you think he is consumed and concerned with every detail? Now, someone as wicked as Joram, we would have just said, you know what? That's your consequence. That's your evil doing. We'll just let you die. But not God. He was concerned about his well-being. Now look what it says in the next few verses. What God is going to do. He's going to make his presence known. He's going to provide a solution. It says, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Smite the people, I pray thee. With blindness. Now, I want, I want you to consider this for a minute. 
So the servant goes out, he sees the enemy. Here's all these chariots, his horses, swords drawn, and he knows her intention. He knows they're coming for us. And he's sitting there telling his servant, don't worry about it. God has this under control. And he prays for him. God, will you open his eyes? He looks up and, and there are the heavenly angels. Now, you, you know what we need to do before we go further in this? Go to chapter 7, verse 6. Remember, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When the Syrian army had encamped around about Samaria and was starving the city to death, the Bible says, verse 6, the Lord made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of great hosts. So God didn't open their eyes to the heavenly host, but he opened their ears. He said, I'm not going to let you see them. I'm going to let you hear them. I'm going to let you know they're present. Let you know they're there. So God had everything totally under control. But here's what happens. So the servant's eyes are open. He can suddenly see the invisible. His heart is calmed, but there's still the unknown. So the army comes down, and they're ready to grab Elisha. And Elisha's standing at the door. He's just watching as this great army of trained soldiers and the captain, the leader of the army, comes down. There is nothing Elisha can do. No karate is going to save him. No technique, no spear, no sword in this moment, although he did not have one, a machine gun wouldn't have saved him. And here they come. And when they get to the door, he just prayed, God, would you open his eyes so that he can see that you're here and you have this under control. And let me, let me just remind you for a minute. Okay, when he prayed God to open their eyes, it wasn't God saying, okay, let's go ahead and get down there. They didn't magically appear or arrive yes. with the prayer. That's right. They were there but unseen. Yes. He said, I'm not going to bring in deliverance. I'm going to open his eyes so he can see they're here. God's not a step behind. Too, too often we think, well, you know what our prayer is? God, would you get caught up on this? And God, would you accelerate what you're doing? And God, I know you're two miles back, but I need you right here, right now, present moment, to, to provide me some kind of deliverance from this situation. And God says, you really are blind. He, he's already worked through the situation. He's already provided that which we need for the moment. Now, here's, here's what we want. We want God to provide us heaven on earth. This is sin curse planet, but God, I want you to know that everyone else deserves hell. I deserve heaven. Not in the future, not after death, but like right now. So, everybody else gets whatever's going around. I want you to know I don't need it. I'm not going to learn anything from that. And... Uh, Whatever harm, problem, sickness, I need a perfect mate, need perfect children, need a perfect church, need perfect education, need a perfect job. And I need a perfect plan to go from this life to the next life. And uh, if there's any complication between my birth and my death, I'm going to hold you responsible for this. That's the way we live. 
And here's the complications that come, and God didn't deliver them from the complication. He said, I'm going to deliver you in the complication. In the way to do this, what changed, what changed everything? That the enemy wasn't removed, his eyes were open. Here's, here's why I'm going to ask you, church, we've got to make this a regular habit. God, would you just open my eyes today? Would you open my spiritual eyes? Because what's going to help me in this job? What's going to help me with my family? What's going to help me with this wayward child? What's going to help me with this sickness? What's going to help me uh, while I work for this company? What's going to help me in my finances? What's going to help me in my marriage is to see things through your perspective and know you have a plan in this, and I don't see the plan, and I'm just seeing through my earthly eyes and earthly limitations God, I, you've got to help me see the invisible because if not, I am overwhelmed. And God did that. Now, you want to talk about total reversal. So his eyes are open. He sees the, the heavenly host of angels. And one angel took out 185,000 soldiers in one night. Now, if you have a host of angels, okay, the, the odds are pretty stacked in your favor. So, I don't know what he's thinking, but still, here comes, here comes the captain, and the, the servant is saying, okay, uh, God, if you want to go ahead and move your angels in now, it would be a pretty good time to make that happen. And Elisha's still not sweating. He's, he has his coffee cup, and his hand's not even shaking. How many of you ever seen someone trying to be calm that's not calm, and you can hear it in their breathing? Yeah. I've been hunting with those people before. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You put me in a hunting circumstance and there shows up and I breathe slower and I, I kind of slow down for some reason. I don't know what it is in the di difference in DNA. When I, I got to handle a church problem or I deal with such a, something in my body, I slow down. Instead of getting hyper, it's like I kind of just slow down. Maybe that was Elisha's natural personality, just kind of slow. I don't know. I know this, there was a contrast here between his servant and Elisha. And then he said, okay, one more prayer here. Lord, it was a servant that was blind. Now I need these people to go blind. So just about the time that the captain gets up to the front porch and he has an angry look and he's ready to kill, suddenly, like, guys, where's the front porch? What just happened? Hey, someone help me. I can't help you out, boss. I can't see anything either. Someone just turned out the lights on all of us. Some are yelling. Help me, captain. I can't see. Suddenly you have grown men, soldiers with swords holding the hands. This is really weird. It's going to get weirder. So here's Elijah's servant. He's looking over. He's like, wow. Now, he has seen this his whole life. He's just seen Elisha, this prophet. Elijah, Elisha, uh, they're, they're in tune with God. There's a special connection with them. And when they pray, fire falls, rain stops, things happen. So he just prayed, open his eyes, eyes open. Close our eyes, eyes closed. Now let's see what happens in the next verse. So now they're wondering, what do we do? We got all these soldiers, all these men, all these horses and chariots, and everybody's blind. What in the world are we going to do now? And uh, Elisha said, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me. 
Now, George, I, I just want to throw this in here. Okay, there, there's so much can be said, but it's Sunday morning, Sunday morning crowd's always in a hurry. <laughs> my second service is easier to preach to than my first service. They're more awake. I can go more unfiltered and I can extend my time. But I understand the crowd I'm preaching to. So we keep this both filtered and limited. You gotta understand Dotham is mentioned twice in scripture. The previous time, remember when when Joseph is sent to visit his brothers, you know where he's sent to Dotham, and then you know what happened. Uh, the bloody coat, the lies that are told, he sold into slavery. Now, once again, it looks like in Dotham bad things are gonna happen. But God's always present there and turning the extremely poor circumstance, negative possibilities into something incredible. But here's a man. Can you imagine this? Imagine the scene for a minute. You have an old man of God with his morning coffee in the Syrian army. They're all blind. And holding the hands. <laughs> and Elijah tells his servant. Now some imagine this is still Gehazi with leprosy. If it is, he's about ready to spread leprosy yeah. to the whole army, the whole Syrian army. I don't know. It doesn't identify it was a Ge- if it was Gehazi or not. It just says it was Elijah's servant. We know Gehazi is Elijah's servant. Bad things just happen. That's for another message, another story. But he grabs their hands, and here they go. And the man of God said, you, you came to the wrong city. We have got to get you to the right city. So he didn't even identify himself as Elisha. He just said, if you're looking, who are you looking for? Elisha. You're talking about the prophet that knows everything the king's planning and always manages to tell King Joram before your army gets there? Okay, if you guys want to help, and if you want to get the man that you're looking for, I'm going to take you to that man. (laughs) He wasn't lying. He's only five feet away, but he's going to take him. (laughs) So here they go marching down the road. This entire army, horses and swords and spears and knives and armor, holding the hands. (laughs) And the man they're looking for is five feet in front. And as he goes down the street, I know men of God. They're all a little sarcastic, a little playful. And he's probably saying, Eric, these guys are looking for Elisha. We're going to get them to Elisha. You with us, Eric? We're going to take them all the way to that dirty dog. I mean, he's been scheming, he's been plotting, he's been planning every time, every time they think they have Joram. That dirty dog, Elisha, steps in, helps out Joram, helps him escape. And you see these guys, they want to do the right thing. They want to kill him. So I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them get right to their destination. Tell me this wasn't one of the most comical things any Israelite had ever seen. I wonder how many people from Dotham decided to follow the show. Baptists are curious. And Baptists are gossips. Can you imagine? Don't tell anybody that 
Elisha is in front. And here they go. The crowd is growing. Let's see what happens. Came to pass, verse 20, when they're coming to Samaria. Elisha said, he prays again, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Here's the problem. Now they're in the midst of their enemies. Their enemies have them totally surrounded. Elisha says, God, if you just restore their sight, the king of Israel said to Elisha. Now, he t- you know what Elisha did? He took them right to King Joram and right to King Joram's forces. And I don't know if he sent someone ahead, said, tell Joram, I'm about ready to bring in the whole army. And guys that are seeking your life, guys that are seeking my life, we're about ready to show up at the door. And the king of Israel said, Elisha, verse 21, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Uh, Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Now, doesn't this all just sound crazy? Here's the difference between your thoughts and his thoughts. His thoughts are higher. His plan is better. And in our mind, we said, this is a great time to defeat the enemy. This guy that wants to take our life, we're just going to go and take his life. Now, here's what happens. If your enemies would sit and feed you, the rules of war say, you can no longer lift up a finger against them. Now, you know what this was about? This was all about God's glory. Now, you tell me who in this story is going to get glory. This is all about God. This was God's plan. This wasn't man's well-devised plan. This wasn't Joram. This wasn't Elisha. It was Elisha saying, open their eyes, blind them, open their eyes, prepare a table, feed them a meal, give them no choice, send them home embarrassed. You guys couldn't even capture a man of God? Nope. Matter of fact, he told us he was going to take us to the man of God. And then next thing you know, he was the one leading us. How did you get there? We were just holding the hands. And the guy that was holding our hands had leprosy. I mean, the whole thing is unbelievable. And then when we get there, they got tables and fried chicken and potatoes. And they give us forks. And then they say, eat. You know, you, know, you know what happens in life? In, in life, uh, we come out the other side, God's not, and we forget that God's the one that did it. And, and then we think now we have permission to be vindictive. To, to one of those that was seeking our demise, our destruction, or one of those that was slanderous or critical or angry or hurtful, God keep us when we come out the other side from ever being vindictive about anyone that ever lifted up a finger against Kepp City or the cause of Christ, that's God's business. That is God's job. I've been with some of you before, and we've seen ex-members, hateful people, people that try to hurt this ministry or hurt this pastor. And every one of you know the first person to run to them and hug their neck. You say, why would you do that? That's my way of being vindictive. They don't want a hug from this man. And they're about ready to get a public hug. 
<laughs> I'd rather set a plate and let God deal with it. Amen. Now here's the only thought of the morning. When we're in the midst of that trial, what must our prayer be? God, open my eyes. Because I can't see this and I'm not seeing it like you do. And we have someone around us going through the trial. What should our prayer be? God, you open their eyes. Because right now, I've been in the same place and I understand. They're seeing the physical. They're seeing the natural. God, would you help them see the invisible and the supernatural?